From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, I'm Raquel Williams. Welcome to Bridging Philly. Philadelphia's homeless problem is not unlike other major cities across the nation. Every person experiencing homelessness has a story and deserves a place to live. We visit with Project Home, a nonprofit which seeks to end the population of the unsheltered. We realized that the single most important thing tending homelessness today is affordable housing. But the single most important thing tending homelessness for the future is a quality education for every single child in our city. The African American Museum in Philadelphia and the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts have partnered up for an exciting exhibition. Charity Howard brings us the details. They were posing this question rooted in a chair at Independence Hall. It has a half sun on it, and Benjamin Franklin would often ponder alongside the founding fathers, is the half sun on this chair the rising or the setting sun on the experiment of the American democracy? That's coming up on Bridging Philly. This is Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. According to the city's Office of Homeless Services report from 2021, about 5,700 people are considered to be homeless in Philadelphia, and that includes about 950 who are unsheltered. Several factors are said to contribute to the problem, including substance abuse and poverty, just to name a couple. Here in the city, the homeless problem is not a hidden problem. And in fact, it's become more visible in Center City as there are fewer places to live out in the open due to development and construction. Now, every homeless person has a story to tell. There's someone's son, daughter, uncle, mother, father or friend who lost their way and fell on the hardest of times. Joining me to shed further light on this issue are three people who work for Project Home, whose mission is to break the cycle of homelessness and poverty in Philadelphia. Sister Mary Scullion is president and executive director of Project Home. Candace Player is vice president of Outreach. And Sonny is a residential case manager at St. Columba, a safe haven for men at Project Home. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, there are so many different layers, if you will, to the homeless issue in Philadelphia. And um, I guess one of them is the fact that not all homeless individuals present as someone who's disheveled. They are not all panhandling in the streets. Uh, As a matter of fact, some of them look just like us. Um, They may be living out of their cars or, you know, going from home to home with no stable place to live. Why don't we talk a little bit more about that, Sister Mary. That is correct. The face of homelessness is not what a lot of people think it is. That is correct, Raquel. Um, The face of homelessness continues to change over the years. Uh, But I would say one of the most vital things is that the people who are unsheltered and living on the streets are just the tip of the iceberg of homelessness. They're the most visible um, people, and I think a prophetic presence in our society saying that something is radically wrong here, you know, with our society itself. But anyway, uh, people who are unsheltered on the street are about between 10 and 20 percent of the homeless population. Most people who are unsheltered and experiencing homelessness 
we do not see. Mm. They are in abandoniums. They are living in cars. They're doubled up in, you know, bad situations, very tense situations when you're doubled up. Yeah, that stigma exists there where, you know, again, there are people that don't want to even reach out for help. They don't want to admit that they're, you know, don't have a place to live. And, um, you know, that's unfortunate. And I'm wondering, do people come to you for services? I know you do outreach, you know, as well. Sure. We get calls every single day. So many people throughout the Project Home community of people seeking housing. There's just waiting lists. You look at the PHA waiting list. That's yeah. the Philadelphia Housing Authority. They reopened their waiting list, and I think they had 50,000 people trying yeah. to, you know, apply for affordable housing. It's no secret, not only in the city of Philadelphia, but throughout the nation. Affordable housing is shrinking and has been shrinking over the years. And we, as not only a city, but as a nation, have to institute better public policies to support increasing more affordable housing. Absolutely. I remember when they reopened that and uh, the system crashed within five minutes. Correct. Um, But uh, Candace and Sonny, let's talk a little bit about some of the contributing factors to homelessness. I've experienced homelessness myself, but mine was basically self-inflicted because of my addiction. And I noticed since I've been in Philadelphia for the past 12 years, I went across a lot of people who's homeless because of their addiction. And Right now, as everybody knows, in the city of Philadelphia, we have a bad opiate problem. Yeah. Now, your experience, um, you know, you have a lived experience, which is wonderful that you are able to to share this uh, with us. In terms of the services and how what you use to get yourself back on your feet, tell us a little bit about your journey. I grew up in a family that wasn't wealthy, but we was okay. I guess you could say somewhat uh, middle class at, at one point. Mm-hmm. When I got older like 18 years old, I started using drugs. And my drug of choice at that time was crack cocaine. Mm -hmm. And I was homeless because of choice because I didn't want my family to see me in the condition that I was in. So for about 17, 18 years, I was in and out of prison, uh, sleeping on people's couches or on the floor, basements, wherever I could find a place. But to be honest with you, what changed my life was Jesus Christ and my faith. Hmm. Uh, November the 28th, 1999, and from that point, everything's been going good for me. Wonderful. That's wonderful. Candace, how many stories are like Sonny's that you guys encounter? So many stories. So one of the programs in outreach is a place called the Hub of Hope. It's a daytime drop-in center. We're open um, from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m., Monday through Friday. Every day we see about 140 people coming in to the Hub of Hope for everything from showers and laundry to to speak with someone in the in the medical clinic to get access to health care or um, to connect to behavioral health care. Mm-hmm. But everyone who comes in has a story. Um, many of the people who come into the Hub of Hope are men, but we also see women and sometimes we see children as well coming into the Hub of Hope. The Hub of Hope. Yeah. Where exactly is that located? And can you tell me more about what the Hub of Hope is? Sure. So it's in Suburban Station. Right now, the entrance is um, through the corner of 15th and JFK, and it's a drop-in center where people can get access to showers, laundry, case management, resource coordination. They can speak with a case manager to connect them to a shelter or maybe a safe haven if the person is chronically homeless and qualifies for a longer-term placement. Um, And importantly, they can also get access to medical care. Um, They can also work with occupational therapy students to help them work on things like creating a budget mm-hmm. um, or any of the other activities of daily living that where they might need a little bit of help. 
Okay. Uh, Sister Mary, though, I understand that all of this started with yourself and another individual about 30 years ago, right on the streets of Philadelphia. Can you talk about the humble beginnings of Project Home? Sure, Raquel. So 35 years ago, actually, um, you know, homelessness was just beginning to be a more noticeable and, you know, visible problem in the city. And Joe McConnell and myself would just go out on the street and talk to people and, and see what we could do. And in the early 80s, we opened up a place for women who had a serious mental health issue. Many were deinstitutionalized from Byberry when it closed. And so we opened up Women of Hope, but we saw that just bringing people in and that winter, the men would say, what about us? Like, you know, we need a place too. So uh, that winter, actually, we opened up the Marion Anderson Recreation Center in South Philadelphia as a winter emergency shelter. Mm -hmm. And in May, when the kids, you know, were getting done school and they were going to reopen the pool, we had to leave. And... Joan and I both said, this is terrible because the people then had to go back on the street. As humble as the recreation center was, as a you know place to stay and to be out of the elements, um, it's still, there was a sense of community and belonging there, and we had to close. So we both said at that point, we're not going to let this happen again, and we had to do something more for more permanent solutions, as important and as necessary a shelter and food and clothing is on any one given day, the reality is if we don't do long-term solutions, we're just going to have more and more people, you know, experiencing homelessness. So that's when we decided that we wanted to do H-O-M-E. H is affordable housing. O is opportunities for employment. M is medical care. And E is education. We realized that the single most important thing tending homelessness today is affordable housing. But the single most important thing tending homelessness for the future is a quality education for every single child in our city. So you have to, to really address homelessness, obviously you have to deal with today and the person that you meet who is unsheltered today. And we as a community, as a city, as a nation have to commit to equal opportunity for all, having equal opportunity for a decent and safe place to call home, equal opportunity for a job at livable wages, equal opportunity for access to quality health care for every single citizen. And so that requires not only the work that we do, and, and as much as I am so incredibly grateful to work with Candace and Sonny and all our colleagues at Project Home and do what we do. That's a program. We need national policies. So we have to work on advocacy. We have to work on, you know, working in greater collaboration with other organizations and people and community. But we need systemic change. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? 
Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Back to Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. You know, you bring up some things that we hear just about every election cycle. For I don't know how many years. These are things that, you know, people have been standing on, you know, their platform, calling for these different things. And I don't know if we are seeing the changes that we'd like to see. And as we're embarking upon uh, the 100th mayor of uh, Philadelphia, maybe you can all answer this question. Uh, I'm curious, as far as the next mayor and administration that will come into the city, what is it going to take for the next mayor to really make a dent and move the needle on this problem? What do they need to have in their toolbox to really get ahead? Well, for me personally, they got to first be compassionate. Because you're not going to get anything done unless you have compassion to do it. Number two, I think they need to go there and look at it for themselves and observe it and see how important this issue is. Absolutely. And also underscoring the point that Sister Mary made earlier about the importance of affordable housing. Yeah, I would say ensuring that we have enough affordable and available rental housing. So it's a wonderful thing to have housing choice vouchers and emergency housing vouchers. But if landlords are not accepting those vouchers... And we know that that's happening and that there's no consequence for that. That's a problem that the next mayor needs to address. And he also needs, he or she, I should say, yeah. also needs to ensure that those vouchers get us where we want to go. The cost of rent is skyrocketing, but often vouchers don't keep pace with the cost of rent. So it's doing all of those things. Now, Project Home, I understand you do offer housing. There's housing options under Project Home. Maybe you can speak to that, the different housing uh, that you guys offer, and you also help with placement as well, yes? So, um, Raquel, we're, uh, Project Home has, we will be opening our thousandth unit of affordable oh, wow. housing, especially for people with special needs. Okay. And there is a variety of housing programs that we have, and that's entry level. That's where Sunny works at St. Columbus, Women to Change, St. Elizabeth, Sacred Heart, Um and now the Amazing Mercy in Kensington, where people can come right off the street into a safe place, uh, which is a transitional place. And then we have permanent affordable housing where people have you know, efficiencies, one and two and three bedroom apartments for families. Uh, we have uh, one bedroom units for young adults. Like when you talked about um, earlier, Raquel, about how people sometimes are can be in denial yeah. in their situation. We see that a lot with young people. You know, they're couch surfing. They're doing whatever it takes to maybe even be invisible as someone who's experiencing homelessness. People who are homeless are us. And right. again, our mission statement at Project Home is none of us are home until all of us are home. Right. And that is so true. Children are largely affected by homelessness, and it's something that a lot of us just can't really wrap our heads around and and fathom. And I think that probably presents a different set of issues and resources and things that need to be addressed. So if you can talk about the different needs uh, for different groups, let's talk about the women and the children for a moment, because, of course, education is a factor in housing and, and the like. One of the issues facing many women and the children is that their situations are more invisible. We don't see women and children living on the streets, like, thank God. Mm. But the situations that they find themselves are so stressful and so devastating. We've come to realize that poverty is institutionalized violence, and it takes a piece out of people 
every single day. The stress that those mothers with and the kids are under is just horrendous. And I'm just going to just give you one short, you know, story that really brought that home to me. Oh, take your time. And that was <laughs> that's okay. And uh, that is at um, our housing for mothers and kids at Rowan Home. Uh, we have some volunteers. They did an after-school program, you know, for the kids, and just was a bad day. You know, they needed to do something a little different. So they had the kids sit in a circle, and they said, let's tell some jokes, okay, but like lighten things up a little mm-hmm. bit. So uh, one of the older kids started, and they said, he said, why did the chicken cross the road? And there was a few minutes of silence, and then one of the little kids raised their hand and said, because he was homeless. Uh. Oh, boy. So we, you know, I'm I'm using that story to illustrate the impact, the devastating impact that homelessness and how we as a society see one another yeah. and the impact that that uh, stigma has on children and the mother. So it's not just fighting for a place to live or trying to earn enough money. It's the stigma. It's the invisible wounds that people carry from this devastating experience of, of homelessness. And it's things that many of us don't fully understand or grasp because it's not as visible as the people who are living on the streets. Wow. Wow. That, that says a lot. Um, I, I was expecting the punchline to a, a, to a cute joke, but nah, not, not funny at all. Candice, uh, talk about some of the services um, offered by Project Home for specifically for women and children. So our services um, at the Hub of Hope are open to anyone who might need them and come through our doors, whether men, women, children, people with disabilities or other special needs. Um, But occasionally we do see women and children come in, not only to the Hub of Hope, but sometimes they come around to 1515 Fairmount. And so we are in close proximity to the shelter for families. Okay. And uh, all too often we hear of mothers with their children who go there seeking shelter or seeking a bed and find that they are turned away because there simply are not enough beds in the system at any given moment for uh families to come inside. And so uh, sometimes the other part of the outreach department, the outreach coordination center and those outreach workers are in the position of frankly scrambling and trying to find a bed somewhere in the system or calling in favors to ensure that mothers and their children can come in. It happens often. Um, sometimes uh, they are brought to us by the police when mm-hmm. when mothers and children are found, you know, for example, in a in the train station. Sunny, talk about um, some of the work that you do at St. Columba. That's a safe haven for men. Yes, well, what I do there basically is uh, I take the initiative to do the intakes. And the gentlemen come in, some of them are really in bad shape. I uh, make them feel comfortable first and foremost. I'll give them a tour through the building. I'll give them fresh clothing, you know, and if they need showers or things of that nature, uh, sheets, pillows, all, all the necessities. But most importantly, what I do, personally is I give them some spiritual guidance and hope because I do a group and we have anywhere from five to 13 guys that show up uh, consistently on Tuesdays. And we just talk about certain things, you know, like a uh, hope and what, what your goals, uh, you know, how, how'd you get here? Where, where you want to go? You know, and I just, just let them know that there's hope out there because one thing that I do with them is let them know that I was once them. Yeah. 
And Project Home gives you the resource to be a better person. When these guys come in there, I let them know that, look, this is a starting point. And you either can make it work for you or make it work against you. And my job is to let them see that if they allow it to work for them, they can be better people in the community. Okay. Mental health support. Uh, is something that, you know, we've been talking about for the past couple of years as people start to realize that it's okay to not be okay and to get help. That's one of the programs that's offered uh, by Project Home, correct? Correct. I mean, what's correct is that we do understand that we all need mental health support and that post-pandemic and during the pandemic, the stress on people every day all of us, yeah. <laughs> all yeah. of us, we're all human beings and mm-hmm. we all experience various challenges in our life and how important it is to get the support and the help that we need. At Project Home, we strive to be a beloved community as Dr. Martin Luther King called us all to be. And what does that mean? And it really means seeing one another, being with one another, um, supporting one another, the work that Sonny does at St. Columbus is so vitally important that we all help each other to understand ways of dealing with the challenges that, that we face in our life. We understand at Project Home, it's not there but for the grace of God go I. It's there go I. It's us. Mm. It's us. You know, yeah. um, it's us. Absolutely. Well, for people who would like to learn more about Project Home and perhaps get involved and volunteer, where can we get more information? You can go to our webpage, www.projecthome.org, and you can call at 215-232-7272. Or if you see someone in need, um, a person that's unsheltered that really needs some help or wants some place to stay, you can call our hotline, 215-232-1984. And that's in partnership with the City of Philadelphia and uh, the Department of Behavioral Health. Um, Again, as much as it's possible to work in partnership with one another, you know, we'll have the best outcomes. Absolutely. Sister Mary Scullion, Candice Player, and Sunny, thank you all so much for shedding more light on the issue of homelessness and the work that you do at Project Home. Thank you, Raquel. It's great to be with you. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Welcome back to Bridging Philly. The work of 20 local artists is on display as a retrospective on democracy in America. Charity Howard spoke with the director of programming for the African American Museum in Philadelphia to find out more. Rising Sun, the exhibit is a collaboration between two Philly institutions, the African American Museum and the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts, asking the question, is the sun rising or setting on democracy in America? And 20 artists respond from the perspective of the African diaspora musing through the lens of the Black National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. I sat down with Nina Ball, the programming director at AAMP, and a couple of the curators of the exhibit to get a little bit deeper into the inspiration behind the exhibit. And honestly, I was blown away. So here we go. This particular exhibit, it's special. Why is it special to you? It's special to me because it speaks about something 
that we talk about in the peripheral all the time, but we never go in depth about democracy, citizenship, place and belonging, especially from the black perspective, is a very exciting prospect, especially to program to. What was one of your favorite things to address and how you expressed it? There are so many different layers through media, through physical, through mental, emotional. I have a background in film, so I'm particularly drawn to the pieces that are moving images. There's Mark Thomas Gibson's uh, Klansman's Grave. It's unlike anything I've ever seen before. So prepare to be emotional. Prepare to be emotional, prepare to respect the space the minute you walk into it, to be engaged and to really plan a couple of hours to take your time with every layer and every element of this exhibition. It has been years in the making. It was delayed by the pandemic and now it's finally seeing the light of day. So we're just one half, Pafa is the other half, but both spaces are worth spending plenty of time in. Then I spoke with Morgan Lloyd, who's the program coordinator at the museum, and she gave us a little greater insight into how this partnership really works for this exhibit. This exhibition is called Rising Sun, Artists in an Uncertain America. It is an exciting event not only for our institution, but also for the Pennsylvania Academy for Fine Arts. We are two institutions working on one exhibition. It's not part one and part two, but two halves of telling a whole story. They were posing this question rooted in a chair, ironically, at Independence Hall. It has a half sun on it, and Benjamin Franklin would often ponder alongside the founding fathers, is the half sun on this chair the rising or the setting sun on the experiment of the American democracy? Frankly, rising sun is akin to a lot of people, especially those of Afro-descent in America, because rising sun is applicable to the Black national anthem. So what if predominantly marginalized voices answer this question. So one, it's exciting because here at the African-American Museum, we're able to uplift a bunch of diasporic Black voices in a myriad of ways and expressions. Um, they're multifaceted artists. We have filmmakers. We have all kinds of painters. We have wall installations. You're going to hear perspectives from artists who aren't even from the mainland. We have perspectives of those from the Caribbean who are analyzing perspectives from Guam. So it's holistic. Holistic. Absolutely holistic. And simultaneously, once you walk through Chinatown, which more than likely will be activated during this exhibition as part of our storytelling mechanism, you're going to go to the Pennsylvania Academy for Fine Arts, which is regarded as one of our oldest arts institutions in our nation. Our museum being the first African-American institution to be supported by our local municipality, as well as the Smithsonian, and then PAFA being the oldest arts institution. And if you're familiar with that space, uh, historically, it is regarded for holding a lot of images of those founding fathers. And for the first time in history, they went down. And they're now installing exclusively Black, Brown, Indigenous, Asian, and women voices. And I think one of the things that excites me the most in, say, PAFA's experience as well is some of their artists are Black and or Asian and. And George Washington is down and now we have a person who identifies as being of Indigenous descent. And the only way to speak the name of the work is to speak in his language. Dispelling myths yes. about what boxes we're in. There are no boxes. Precisely. Especially at our museum, we're calling upon the American experience in the contemporary, as well as being inspired by those who defined what Black American experience was through the lens of the past. The tradition. 
Yes. Ancestry, we're thinking of revolution. We're thinking of archival images from all across the diaspora. There's ancestors here, and they're going to also inspire our artists. You're calling on the ancestors, but you're also calling on the community. Exactly. I hope that people see themselves in all of these works. And even if you don't identify with all of the folks that are going up on the walls, I hope that you get to meet a variety of voices that can also inspire you and help you also see what being an American means to you. And now on to Dejay Duckett. She's one of the main curators of this exhibit, and she gives a really detailed play-by-play of one of the most impactful pieces in this exhibit. It starts out with a dark room, and there's a flower and a grave. Now, what are we looking at? So Mark Thomas Gibson's piece, it's called Their Failure is Our Reward. And, you know, when you first walk into this very dimly lit room with what looks like a, a grave, you know, it can be pretty ominous. But, you know, as we think about, you know, whether the sun is rising or setting on this democracy, um, that's the question that the artists were, were given to ponder. Um, and also think about the Black National Anthem and if facing the rising sun of a new day begun, if that still is relevant, if we can still feel hopeful. He's taken this piece and it's activated four times a day and the lights will come up in this room. It will directly light this animatronic daisy. It's a large flower that's coming out of the Klansman's grave. So the light will come to the flower. The flower, its large, you know, beautiful petaled head will lift up and survey the audience. And then you'll hear the battle hymn from Robert E. Lee is going to start to play very loudly. And then the flower is going to start to sway and move and literally dance on the grave of the Klansman. You know, what beauty can sprout from the end of white supremacy. In the end, it's a very optimistic piece. And it's all of us, you know, we have to collectively dig this grave for all of the hate and the white supremacy and all the poison that that creates and has created in this country. It speaks to the wound and the healing. To the wound and the healing, 100%. So the piece is actually really hopeful about what can come from if we do the work the darkest period, can we dig ourselves out? If we can dig ourselves out and bury all this hate from the past. And leave something for our posterity. And leave some beauty, beauty for ashes. Rising Sun Artist in an Uncertain America runs now through October 8th. You can get your tickets online. Thank you so much for joining us for Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Bridging Philly. And please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. For Sharaday Howard and our producer, Patty McMahon, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well. <laughs>